Are you that weirdo that celebrates Singles Awareness Day instead of Valentine's Day? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Okay, and hi, we're back again. Welcome, weirdos and friends. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird, a podcast where we have cocktails and talk about weird shit. Nailed it. Nailed it. (laughs) Better and better every time. (laughs) We are getting there. By episode 1000, this intro is going to be smooth as the cocktail you are drinking. Yes. And speaking of cocktails, we are having a very classy, very delicious espresso martini this episode. Super easy and you will instantly seem classier when you are drinking one of these. It's equal parts espresso, coffee liqueur, and vodka. <laughs> I, I, can see, I can see you forgot for a minute there. I did. I, I've maybe had one too many espresso martinis. <laughs> I am jacked up and drunk. That's just the way I like you. Perfect. <laughs> I, I, it's not the first time I heard that. Um, and there's nothing that is darker than a really good espresso martini than the soul and heart of a Black Widow killer. And in honor of the month of love, I don't see how we could do it any other way than love gone wrong here at Happy Hour Gets Weird. So today... We are talking about Black Widow killers. Yes, a couple of dark, twisted tales of love gone horribly wrong, at least in my case. Yep, mine too. Okay. Mine too. Okay, well, let me take a little sip of my espresso martini and we'll get right into it. I'll go first. Are you cool with that? I'm okay with it. I'm excited to hear your story as always and... um, Mm. These stories are going to be good. Yes. And by good, I mean very, very terrible. Yes. Yes. And my story is kind of a beware of a bottle blonde in the 50s (laughs) tale. So first, I'll cite my sources I used an article on idcrimefeed.com, a Wikipedia page just to check the timelines, an episode of Evil Lives Here, season eight, episode four. I also did that research. (laughs) (laughs) I love Evil Lives Here. It's one of the best. I am obsessed with it. So I just, uh, hearing people's family members tell the story, it's heartbreaking, it's enthralling I just I love it yes and as usual our sources will be listed in our episode description and without further ado I am going to be talking about Betty Lou Beats born Betty Lou Duvina in North Carolina in 1937 Betty Lou's life was dismal from the very start According to Betty Lou, she was repeatedly raped by her own father, among other men, starting at the age of five. Oh, God, that's awful. Mm -hmm. Terrible. When she was 12, her mother was institutionalized by authorities for mental illness, leaving Betty Lou to care for her younger siblings and run the house. To escape what seems like a living nightmare, Betty Lou married Robert Franklin Branson. They were married for 14 years, which is a lifetime in Black Widow terms. Betty Lou and Robert had six kids together, four girls and two boys, and although together for over a decade, it wasn't marital bliss for these lovebirds. The relationship was tumultuous, filled with breakups, makeups, and accused domestic violence. During the off times, Betty Lou would wait outside Robert's place of work with her daughter Shirley, drinking beer and watching Robert's every move. Robert finally left for good and they divorced in 1969. Betty Lou's daughter Shirley said in the beginning of the marriage, she remembered her mom being loving and caring 
and all around great. And after the marriage ended, Betty Lou changed forever. Shirley was on Evil Lives Here, and she described behavior like Betty Lou leaving them for days at a time, staying out until the wee hours of the morning. But Shirley did mention that Betty Lou always made sure there was food in the fridge for the kids to eat. Shirley remembers when Betty Lou was married to Robert. She was the sole disciplinary parent in the household, but she never physically abused her kids. But after the divorce, she began physically abusing them, giving them spakings pretty much anywhere besides their bottom. Shirley went on to say, and Evil Lives Here, that Betty Lou began topless dancing, which she said was out of character for her mother um, that, sh- that she knew of. And um, one time when Betty Lou was dancing at a topless bar, one of her nipple covers came off and she bent down to pick it up and then kindly invited a gentleman in the audience to help her put it back on. Well, that was against the policy of the club and there was an undercover vice detective actually there and saw it and arrested her for lewd public acts. And Shirley also hinted or alluded to sex work that Betty Lou would would do to keep the family afloat, which in my opinion isn't a bad thing. But she Mm -hmm. just said it was out of character from what she had remembered of her mom when she was married to her father, Robert. Yeah, it sounds like she had a big personality shift after their divorce. Yeah. Yes. By 1970, Betty Lou married a man named Billy Lane. He repeatedly abused her and they fought more often than not. And according to Shirley, Betty Lou showed her where her gun was. And if Betty Lou ever called out during an argument... Shirley was to run in the room, grab her gun, and shoot Billy. Basically, Betty was trying to get Shirley to kill him for her. And Shirley was 11. That's so awful. Yeah. It seems the final straw was when Billy punched Betty Lou in the face and broke her nose, and she responded by shooting him twice in the back of the head. But, just like a cockroach... Prince Charming was surprisingly hard to kill, and Billy actually survived. Getting shot in the head? Yes, twice. Holy shit. This yeah. is sad because it's like, you know that she went through this so much abuse as a child, and it's mm-hmm. just unfortunate that she couldn't stop the cycle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that she wasn't, her her daughter wasn't, it didn't say, her daughter didn't say she was sexually abused, correct? No, she didn't. But she did have to endure physical violence and be in a household where you're told to shoot an adult because the beatings are so bad. That is intense and horrible. Yes. And Shirley, um, in her interview, you could tell that she had really gone through like a, a pretty much a lifetime of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I agree. Betty Lou was originally charged with attempted murder, but was later charged with self-defense when Billy admitted he threatened her first. They divorced, but I think Billy believed in second chances because they actually got remarried two years later in 1972. Oh my God. I know. Could you imagine? However, not surprisingly, the second marriage only lasted a month and they ended up getting divorced again. Shocking. I know, right? They seem like such a great couple. (laughs) Really brought out the best in each other. (laughs) Yeah. 1978 rolled around and Betty Lou was dating a man named Ronnie Thakold. They married the same year, but the relationship ended after Betty Lou accused Shirley and Ronnie of sleeping together. And then Betty Lou ran him over with her car. How old was Shirley? She was in her late teens. Okay. Thankfully, he also survived just in time to ask for a divorce, and Shirley had had it with her mom's behavior. She realized her mom needed help, and she moved out for good at that time. So she was in her late 17, 18, 19, in mm-hmm. her late, late teens. Mm-hmm. The early 80s were upon Betty Lou when she met and married 
Doyle Wayne Baker, and people just called him Wayne, which I guess it's a lesser of two evils. And this is where things take an even darker turn in Betty Lou's life. Shirley called him a, quote, barroom drunk, a woman beater, a womanizer, and a sorry excuse for a man. Once when Shirley went over to visit Betty Lou, she found her mother black and blue from head to toe, and Shirley had begged her mom to bring her to the emergency room, but Betty Lou said she'd be fine and that she'd take care of it. The next morning, Shirley came downstairs in her home to find her mom laying on her couch in the living room. She sat up and she looked at Shirley and said it was over and she needed help disposing of the body. Betty Lou, I know, can you imagine coming downstairs to that and then you find out, oh my goodness, Betty Lou told Shirley to come by her house at midnight and don't be late. Scared to disobey her mom, she found Wayne wrapped in a sheet and then in plastic and zipped up in a sleeping bag in her mom's closet. Betty Lou waited until Wayne fell asleep. She used a pillow to muffle the sound of the shot and shot Wayne in the head twice. They buried him in the backyard and it seemed like nobody even noticed Wayne just disappeared off the face of the earth. I bet nobody did. If he didn't have family and he was a single guy who just kind of did random jobs and hung out at the bar, it would be easy to make somebody like that disappear. Yeah. And I and I feel like if he was as awful as Shirley said, I'm sure people that he had abused before were not questioning yeah. him, him being out of their lives for good. And this is the 80s, so it's not like people had social media. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's easy to just kind of disappear if you're, like I said, not tethered to a family or Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. After Wayne, Jimmy Don Beats came into Betty Lou's life, and they were married in 1982. And Shirley thought this man was different from all the rest. A local fire chief, he was described as kind, generous, and never even seen raising his voice to Betty Lou. Maybe this one would work out. But it wasn't long before Betty Lou called Shirley for help. She was going to do to Jimmy Don what she had done to Wayne. Upset and confused because Jimmy Don was so good to Betty, Shirley ended the phone call. Yeah, I don't understand this. This decision. Um, they say it was for insurance money. That's just, it's just so fucked up. It is. It's cold. It's cold. It's, 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 it's cold. Black Widows are one of the scariest types of criminals to me because they are so good at masking their dark side. They're so good at masking what is just underneath the surface. I don't even know if in Betty Lou's case, she actually was good at hiding her dark side or if she just hung out with a rough and tumble crowd and she was just slightly worse than them. You know what I mean? That's a really great point. It just kind of seems like that might have been the norm of the situation that she was in. But then she finally meets this great guy. And after a lifetime of horrible relationships and men that treated her terribly, she could have had a really good second chapter or third. Wait, third, fourth, fifth chapter. Fifth. Like, it's awful that this... God, I can't even, why did he fucking even get with her? Well, honestly, Betty Lou was, I mean, in her mugshot, she didn't look it, but other pictures I've seen of her, she was a very attractive woman. And in the pictures where she's not in prison or in court, she, it looks to me, either she was extremely photogenic or she did have one of those, like she was just fun. You know, yeah. that she had a great smile in in all of her pictures that were shown with her husband's. They were, um, there's actually a really great picture of Jimmy Don and he is like doubled over in laughter and mm-hmm. she has her arm around him and she's also laughing and it you could tell it was a very candid picture, but they did look incredibly happy. I mean, pictures can say a thousand words, but based on that picture, They did look happy. Yeah. When she's not running somebody over with her car or shooting them in the head, she's pretty great. (laughs) She's a great sense of humor. (laughs) And some great tits. 
1983, about a year later, Betty Lou reported Jimmy Don missing. He'd gone fishing and had never returned home. By all accounts, the police, the media, the neighbors, everybody bought this story. And the only person that really questioned it was Shirley. And Shirley confronted her mom and Betty Lou actually confessed that she shot Jimmy Don in the head and basically did the same thing that she had done to Wayne. Poor Jimmy Don. I he was he was described as a very 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 good person. That's just awful. Yes, uh, Betty Lou this time though had enlisted the help of her son Robbie and not Shirley. Robbie had helped her bring Jimmy Don's boat to the lake. They spread out his heart medication because he had a heart problem. And they staged it to look that he had been out fishing, seemingly maybe had a heart attack, went to reach for his medication, not in time, and then had fallen overboard and eventually, unfortunately, drowned. They spent weeks combing the bottom of the lake to no avail. And this is where I actually, it's really frustrating for me, and it was frustrating for me to watch Shirley tell her story because... And she admitted that she had guilt for this, but she knew what her mother was capable of. Her Mm -hmm. mother had called her before and said she's going to do the same thing she did to Wayne. And Shirley did nothing to stop it. She didn't call and leave a tip. She didn't call Jimmy Don. She did nothing. And she was an adult living on her own at this time. So Yes. But I guess, I mean, the only thing she could have done is warn jimmy don which who knows if he would have believed her you know Mm -hmm. or turned her mom in for the previous murder but she was probably afraid that she would go to prison as well Mm -hmm. she was in a, a shitty situation but yeah at what point do you just let somebody die because you you're scared yeah exactly so that i found that frustrating and not that you know shirley was I mean, if you haven't seen the episode, I think it, I believe the title is Mama Made Me Do It Mm -hmm. or Mama Made Me Help is the title of the episode. If you haven't seen it, watch it. I mean, you can clearly tell that Shirley has seen some shit and been through some shit. She's a wreck. Yeah. A couple of years goes by and it isn't until Shirley and her younger sister and brother-in-law were having a visit. And they were taking shots of tequila together, having a good old time. And the drunker that Shirley got, the heavier the dark secrets she was holding became. Eventually, she spilled the beans and told her younger sister and her brother-in-law everything that she knew. Well, they did what you're supposed to do when you hear about a crime, and they actually called Crime Stoppers to report it. So based on an informant tip, The police descended upon Betty Lou's home with a search warrant. They dug up the remains of Jimmy Don and Wayne Baker. And immediately, Betty Lou blamed her kids. She told police Shirley killed Wayne and her son, Robbie, killed Jimmy Don. And then also, her attorneys used her lifetime of sexual and physical abuse as a defense. So, I am... I am one to believe people about their abuse. There was a couple Mm -hmm. comments in some of the articles I read about Betty Lou that the time that she shared her story of abuse wasn't until after she was sentenced and convicted. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't kind of in the trial and they were working on her defense and then she was convicted where she started to claim or make these claims and these accusations of a lifelong abuse. So some people, there are some people out there that think, okay, Betty Lou was using this as a cover story, kind of to Mm -hmm. not take responsibility. I mean, I'm in the, I'm in in the position of, I'm going to believe that she did experience a lifetime of abuse, but that doesn't take away that she is responsible for killing two people. I totally agree with you. I think that it would make sense that she was abused as a child because Mm -hmm. the majority of her adult relationships were abusive and her Mm -hmm. daughter can attest to that. Mm -hmm. But 
I do agree that she still needs to be held responsible for the horrible things that she did. Yes. I I, 100% agree. So Shirley and her son Robbie, plus two of her surviving ex-husbands, Ronnie Feckold and Billy Lane, testified testified against Betty Lou Beats during her trial. Um, They uh, dropped the charges on Robbie. And then eventually, once Shirley agreed to testify against her mother, they also dropped her charges. Betty Lou Beats was convicted and sentenced to death. Anti-domestic violence advocates and attorneys worked on her case for decades. Um, They pleaded her case to then-Texas Governor George W. Bush. Now, this is fucking wild Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. He, He was not only not sympathetic to her case, but he took time from his 2000 presidential campaign to be at Betty Lou's execution. Yeah. Yeah, that's a crazy little bit of trivia, huh? Yeah, that just, like, fucking blows my mind. Crazy. Like, he clearly did not like her. Uh, yeah. He's like, not only am I not going to grant you clemency, but I'm actually going to watch them kill you. Which I guess, I mean, if you're going to not, if you're going to make it happen, then I guess you should watch it. Yeah. Maybe that was his thinking. Maybe his thinking was, if I'm going to go through with this, then I have to watch this. Yeah. Well, and I at first I was like, like, holy fuck, that is cold as shit. Yeah. Um, like, I'm the only person with power to save your life, and mm-hmm. I am going to double down on the fact that you deserve to die by actually watching you die. Mm-hmm. But then I remembered she buried two husbands in her yard and walked past them every day. She looked at Jimmy Don's children in the eye. And then blamed her children for her, her mm-hmm. own children for those crimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Wayne was, according to Shirley, a piece of shit. Did he deserve to die without a trial? Absolutely not. But Jimmy Don was a wonderful father, a wonderful stepfather, a wonderful husband, and a community pillar. He was a fireman. He was an all-around great guy. And... She buried him under the wishing well in her front yard and walked by his body every single day while his family and loved ones were looking for him. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I could see why she wasn't granted clemency. And that is the terrible, terrible love story of Betty Lou Beats. Love story is what we call it here on Happy (laughs) Hour Gets Weird. Well, you did a great job covering the horrible Betty Lou Beats. Yes. She does have a great name, which is unfortunate. I love her name. Fantastic. It just rolls off the tongue. And I can't help but say it kind of like with a little twang, like Betty Lou Beats. Yeah. Betty Lou. Great name. Terrible human being. Yes. Okay. I am telling the story of an equally cold-hearted woman. Our stories have more than one parallel. Again. We always do that. Mind meld. Or maybe it's just the pattern of behavior with these terrible people is always the same pattern depending on their crimes. Okay. You're more of a realist. I'm a romantic, but okay. We're twin flames. That's why it happens. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. Potato, potato. (laughs) We've done it again. Okay. Today, I'm covering Stacy Ruth Castor. My sources are an abcnews.go.com article, Wikipedia, and I watched um, a 2020 episode, season 41, episode 23, titled Black Widow. And I actually don't think that that's the right number, but that's what it shows online. But when I looked it up on my TV to double check, it wasn't the same. So I don't know what that means. But on the 2020 online, that's what it showed. Okay. So I'm not sure why the numbers didn't line up with the actual um, TV episode. But it is on 2020. It's Black Widow, and you can find it online. Oh, I I might have to check this out if I have some spare time. I always have spare time for murder shows. Who doesn't? So Stacey Castor, who was born Stacey Daniels, 
on July 24, 1967, in New York, was the daughter of Jerry Daniels and Judy Eaton. And I didn't find very much on her childhood. Um, her mom was on the 2020 episode, which I'm not sure if this makes it more or less accurate. But according to what I found, uh, Stacy had a pretty normal childhood. She was pretty smart, a curious little girl, just sort of typical things. So sorry I can't get into anything more interesting with that. I did like having that insight in your story. Stacy met her first husband, Michael Wallace, when she was just 17 years old in 1985. The couple married pretty quickly. They were like instantly smitten with each other. He was described as having a big personality, being a lot of fun. So the couple married. They had two daughters, Ashley in 1988 and Bree in 1991. The young family struggled financially, as you do. And Stacy and Michael also worked opposite schedules, which made them drift apart emotionally. Okay, yeah, that's t- that is tough. I ha- I know of people who to tr- work through uh, like a swing shift and then a, a regular mm-hmm. shift or a graveyard shift and a regular shift, and it is tough. It is very tough. So kudos to you if you are making that work because it is not easy. It is tough, and especially like these are they're young. They don't mm-hmm. have the best you know coping skill. When you're young, you just don't have the best coping skills relationship Mm -hmm. skills obviously they had two young kids they didn't have a lot of money it's a stressful uh family life Mm -hmm. also there were rumors of affairs on both sides but I don't know if that was ever actually uh proven to be true in late 1999 Michael became very ill and one day in January of 2000 While he was home alone with his daughter, Ashley, who was 11 years old at the time, Michael suddenly died. Mm. The doctor who examined Mike said that he died of a heart attack, and that was that. Michael's sister asked for an autopsy because Michael was really young, but Mm -hmm. Stacy refused, and Michael was buried shortly after. Yeah, that's a red flag for me. Our episode is called Black Widow, so I just feel like you're automatically going to be suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've we've it's what the tale is old as time. the The spouse is like, no, I don't. It's, it's I don't fine. really need any more information. Let's just. I don't get even sh- know what happened. Let's just get the show on the road. No question. It's so so sad because Michael was really really young. He mm-hmm. was a dad to these two girls and like I said he was with his daughter when he died yeah that's awful it's really awful really traumatic and it's just it's just horrible so now Stacy is a single mom taking care of her daughters Mm -hmm. but she wasn't single for too long in 2001 Stacy found a new love interest named David Castor then in 2003, Stacy and David got married. Their romance was not perfect. Um, they had clashes. Uh, they both had, David had a son coming into the marriage, and then Stacy had her daughters. And it was, her daughters didn't really want their da- a new dad, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Yeah. Classic, you're not my real dad situation. Yeah. There was clashes over that. Just, I mean, kind of typical stuff. Mm -hmm. One day in 2005, and this is according to Stacy, the couple got in a huge fight over a vacation they were planning. So David wanted to go on a two-week vacation. I guess he did it every year. He was a business owner. Mm -hmm. And every year at the same time, he'd take two weeks off and go on a big vacation. He wanted him and Stacy to do this. And Stacy didn't want to leave her younger daughter alone because she was a teenager. And they got in a fight. So according to Stacy, David was enraged and locked himself in the couple's bedroom all day. Okay. Stacy would knock on the door. This is what she said. This is what Stacy claims. Stacy claimed that she knocked on the door. He didn't respond, and she repeatedly called his cell phone, which he had in the room with him, and David didn't answer his phone. So after a day of this, Stacy called 911. 
Huh. And and told them that she was worried that her husband might have done something to himself after their fight. Interesting because just thinking, you know, we're both married and if my husband and I had a, a large argument and he locked himself in a room, I went with no history of self-harm or anything like that over something as simple as a vacation planning disagreement. I don't think my first call would be 911 unless I knew something more. Like my first call would be maybe to his best friend or his brother or his parents. Uh, Not necessarily 911. And also just the idea that somebody would lock themselves in a room for a full day just seems bizarre. Bizarre, yeah. Yeah. If anything, you'd be like, I need to cool off and then you'd leave. Or I don't know. It just, yeah. Or you'd lock yourself in for an hour once you cool down and come out and get some fucking snacks. Exactly. Like you're not going to stay in your room for a full day. I guess maybe we just like to snack more than most people because that's my also my first thought. I'm like, what, wouldn't he be hungry? No one and nothing is going to stand between me and my fucking snacks. Exactly. So police came to the property and when David didn't respond, the officers um, kicked down the door. Inside the bedroom lay David Castor, deceased. He was nude. And beside his body was a somewhat bizarre scene that told the story of David's supposed suicide. There was, on the bedside table, there was some apple brandy. I believe that was the the type of brandy. There was a glass of diet cranberry juice and a glass containing what they discovered to be antifreeze. Hmm. The coroner reported that David Castor had committed suicide through a self-administered lethal dose of antifreeze. But police weren't so sure it was, in fact, a suicide. David was nude, which is unusual for suicide victims. Um, yeah, unless, that would... Unless they're in the bath, I guess. Uh, yeah, that seems a, a bizarre choice. Also, men don't typically poison themselves. Obviously, it can happen. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not super common, especially considering he had a shotgun in the room with him. Yeah. So he was a gun owner. So you would think that would be if he were to commit if he were to um, commit suicide. Uh, you think that's what he would do. Um, also, has anybody ever poisoned themselves with the antifreeze? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I I would think that it would be the. Um not a good option. No. So police dusted for prints and found Stacy's prints on the glass of antifreeze. And after a sweep of the house, police also found a turkey baster in the garbage, which had traces of antifreeze as well as David's DNA on the tip of the baster. Weird. Another suspicious thing was that David had recently changed his will. And what do you know? Left everything to Stacy and nothing to his own son. Okay, wait a minute. And like I said, like David was a business owner. He had a bunch of, he had like a camper and a boat and a motorcycle. Like he had a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So David's ex-wife, who immediately was like he did not commit suicide, told police there's no way he wouldn't have left anything to our son. Mm-hmm. There was just, uh, there was a lot and the final suspicious straw for police was during the initial interview with Stacy after David died. The investigator was just kind of going over the day's events with her mm-hmm. and discussing like, because David had all of those drinks in there, who had gotten him the drinks kind of thing, the, the, the brandy and the um, cranberry juice. Mm-hmm. Stacy had a Freudian slip and meant to say that she was pouring the cranberry juice and did something along the lines of, well, I was pouring the anti, I was pouring the cranberry juice, which Mm. what a fucking dumbass. I I don't know that I'm still stuck on the turkey baster. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. Okay. What was the turkey baster for? Well, I'll get to that. I'll get to what police believe happened. Oh, okay. Towards the end of the story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She accidentally confessed 
yeah. during one of her in- interviews. Okay. She's and then she got mad and said the police were trying to trick her and lawyered up. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. all right. So police were pretty sure pretty quickly because of all of these suspicious bits of evidence, right? Um, mm-hmm. They were pretty sure pretty quickly that this was not a suicide, but that David had in fact been murdered. They wiretapped Stacy's home. They watched the grave sites of her two dead husbands, which was pretty easy to do because Stacy had them buried side by side. What? Which I don't know if this is a normal thing. I'm not going to. I don't know, but it just seems. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to say anything that's hurtful to somebody who might have been in the situation where they have people that have died and they're buried side by side. It just seems a um, little bit strange. Unless they were a thruple. I don't think that there would be any reason to bury her husband side by side. I don't, I I don't know. Other than she is weird as fuck at this point. She's very suspicious. She's a suspicious person. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's insane to me. I, I just, that's. I just picture her standing over their graves and she's just like evil witch laugh or something I I don't know it's fucking she's fucking cold so police decided that she wasn't giving up any information because Stacy had no heart clearly like yeah she was cold and um so the wiretapping it didn't lead to it didn't lead to anything that could really help them so police decided that the only way to know for sure would be to exhume Stacy's first husband's body which is a big deal Mm -hmm. it it takes a lot to even get that to go through and I mean, it's a big de- it's a big decision to say we're going to dig somebody up, right? Yes. When police examined Michael Wallace, they found that he too had been poisoned with the antifreeze. Evidence of this is that there is crystallization happens in the lungs of a person when they drink antifreeze because your body doesn't know how to process this chemical, whatever, the chemical compounds in antifreeze properly. So it creates crystals in your lungs. It, it sounds... I mean, it's a fucking awful way to die. Yeah. It's 2007, and Stacy Castor's world is spiraling out of control. Police have exhumed her first husband's body. They spoke with her daughter. I mean, they had to tell them why they were doing that. Right. And Stacy got a call from her daughter, Ashley, saying that the police had come to her school to let her know about what was going on with her father's body. And Ashley's really upset, and Stacy's on the phone with her and is like, you know what? It's been a really shitty week for all of us. Why don't you just come over to my house and let's get drunk? And her daughter is, it's her, like her daughter's first day of college. So she's what, 18, 19. So Ashley's like, okay. So Ashley goes over to Stacy's and they get drunk together. Mother and daughter. Yes. Ashley okay. passes out pretty quickly and wakes up with a bad ha- headache. The next day, Stacy is like, which remember, Stacy's the mom. Stacy mm-hmm. is like, round two, let's drink again. And Ashley doesn't really want to, but as she said in the 2020 episode, her mom was her best friend. And she was like, sure. I mean, she was still technically, as I said, a, a, an older aged teenager. She wasn't even legally supposed to be drinking, so she didn't really want to pass up the opportunity to kind of party with her mom. Yeah. This time, Ashley said that the drink tasted really bad, but Stacy said, just use the straw and put it in the back of your th- throat and drink it. No. Which, even under normal circumstances, is a fucking weird thing for a mom to do with her kid. Even if it was just a really, really strong drink and your daughter is like, this is too strong and tastes gross. Okay, but yeah, put yourself, yeah, you have to put yourself in, okay, say you have company, or say you're a mom, and you pour some milk for your kid, mm-hmm. and the milk, they say like, mom, this milk tastes weird. I mean, immediately what you're going to do is check the milk to see if it's old, mm-hmm. dump it out, pour, mm-hmm. pour some new ones, or get them something else. I would never <laughs> Just say, kids, just put this straw in the back of your throat and drink it. Just drink it with a straw and put it in the back of your throat, and you won't. If anybody said that a drink that I made tasted bad, I would say, first of all, you don't have to drink it, of course. Yeah. And then I would make them something else of anything. Maybe that's my bartender's soul. 
Maybe. speaking but this is ridiculous I mean and I'm and I'm saying that if this was a normal situation which we all know that it isn't we all know that this isn't yes. bad fucking sign yeah I'm just saying that in general fucking Stacy is not great bad news bad Ashley drank the drink and the next day Ashley's younger sister Brie found her unresponsive in her bed <gasps> they called 911 um and while Stacy was on the phone with 911. She finds a fully typed, nothing handwritten, fully typed confession and suicide note. What? In the note, Ashley takes full responsibility for killing not only her stepdad, but also her father, which if you remember, her father died when she was 11. And according to the note, now Ashley was taking her own life. Luckily, Ashley was rushed to the hospital and somehow managed to survive. The doctors said that another 15 minutes and Ashley would have died. When she woke, an officer questioned Ashley about what pills she had taken and was questioning her about the suicide slash confession note. And Ashley had no idea what the officer was talking about. She denied all of it. She said she hadn't tried to kill herself. She didn't leave a note. She didn't confess to anything. She said none of this was true. She hadn't murdered both of her fathers. And police believed Ashley's story. Stacy was arrested in 2007 for second degree murder in David's death and for attempting to murder her own daughter and frame her for the murders. Oh my goodness. At the trial, it was mother versus daughter which is intense and so rare. Stacy gave no other motivation than that her daughter must be mentally ill. And that's why she would murder her own father and stepfather. Yeah, at 11. Yeah. And in the 2020 interview, they basically asked Stacy, they say to Stacy, like, you're asking us to believe that a child did this. And she was like, well, that happens all the time. You can just go online and you can find you can find situations where children murder people. OK, this isn't Macaulay Culkin in the good son. OK, this is not Hollywood. This is like reality. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, Stacy had the clear motivation of money. She benefited. Mm-hmm. She benefited financially from both her husband's deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she got fifty five thousand dollars when Michael was murdered and a lot more than that after David's murder. Uh not to mention the fact she was an adult during both of the murders, yeah. which ups the likelihood. <laughs> and also the spouse, which also ups the likelihood that it would be her, not her daughter. Yeah, I, I can't see AutoZone selling antifreeze to an 11-year-old. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, the whole thing's just fucked up. In 2009, Stacy Castor was found guilty of second-degree murder and the poisoning death of David and of the attempted second-degree murder of overdosing her daughter Ashley Stacy was sentenced to 51 years before even the possibility possibility of parole. Getting back to the turkey baster thing that you were kind of wondering about. So it was speculated that Stacy spent four days poisoning David before he died. And that when he started to get weak, like the towards the end, she used the turkey baster to force it down his throat. <sighs> oh my goodness. That just takes it to a whole... It's very dark. Another level of of evil and my goodness. And wow. they also show they also proved through going through the computer that the um Ash the the fake suicide confession letter from Ashley had multiple mm-hmm. drafts. So she had worked <sighs> on that for a while as well. Oh my goodness. She's really 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 an evil person. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of um, Marie Hilly, mm-hmm. which we did an episode. You did. You pretty much did that whole episode, but it was a great episode. And it, it, these women have a lot of parallels. So if you want to hear another story about a fucking truly cold, cold-hearted woman who's willing to do anything to save her own ass and to get mm-hmm. what she wants, listen to our... It's Marie Hilly, right? Yeah. Marie Hilly was a real uh, fucking piece of work. She was... It, oh my gosh, she, yeah, it's a, it's a wild story. It is wild. Yeah. Um, and in case you might have any doubt, another little bit of evidence to, sh- to prove that it was Stacy and not Ashley was 
there was a typo in the suicide note where she called antifreeze antifree and Stacy also mispronounced the word during the police interrogation. Oh my god. It was just this little thing that stood out to police. And you know, when you're a good investigator, you pay attention to every every little little things like that really fucking add up. Yeah, my um that's such a good point because, you know, we've all seen those confession tapes where you have those really in tune investigators mm-hmm. and the person who they're questioning might not be giving up what they think is information, but they could be referring to the say it's a missing person. They might be referring to them in past tense, which mm-hmm. a, an in tuned investigator would catch that and exactly. they would think, Why are you saying she was when she oh. could just be out of town? If you don't, if you don't know something that we, if you know something that we don't, why are you referring to them in the past tense? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Those things I find are fascinating about um, investigations is how people can be so in tune and really good at what they do. Yeah, I just watched that movie, The Little Things, that's, um, that Denzel Washington movie and he says that in it he says it's the little things that get you caught and when I was doing this story I was like oh god so true um so from everything that I found unless there's something that I missed Stacy always maintained her innocence and blamed Ashley Ashley and Brie never spoke to their mother again and in 2016 at the age of 48 Stacy Castor died of a heart attack in her prison cell. No way. Yes. She said that she loved her husbands and had bare tattoos in honor of them on her shoulders. Oh my goodness. Makes me sick. Yeah. Which is creepy to have tattoos for the people that you murdered. Um, it's yeah, almost it, like a trophy that you can have with you in prison. Seriously, it's like the ultimate fuck you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So that's the story of Stacy Castor. The 2020 was great. They did a um Lifetime did a movie about her life. I don't <laughs> know how accurate it is. Uh it's based on the story. I didn't watch it cuz I didn't want to pick up any wrong information just in mm-hmm. case, yeah. but I might watch it now. Oh yeah. Blows my fucking mind. Yes, being a black widow is terrible and you're obviously a terrible person to kill your husband or multiple husbands. In our both of our situations, mm-hmm. but um, to try to murder your own children or to blame your own children for your crimes is mm-hmm. so fucking heartless. And her daughter Ashley at the trial um, made a statement, and Stacy just no emotion while her daughter's bawling, no emotion. It's just very, it's she's dark. Gosh, Black Widows are so fucking scary because it's like nobody is safe. Nobody is safe. Everybody is, you know, objectified and looked at Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. a gain. Yeah, like what can I get out of this person, even their own children? What can I get from you? Yes. How How can can I I use you to my benefit? Whether it's to get money, like – um. Or if they know too much, then they're, mm-hmm. you know, a, a threat. Or if they are a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. In our, both of our cases, the, her, their own children were used as scapegoats. And it's, that's, I think, why black widows are so, I mean, the, the what is it? The criminal pathology behind a black widow is just terrifying. It's scary. It's it scary. really is because nobody is safe. Not even their own flesh and blood. And I feel like with black widows, a lot of times they don't talk. Mm-hmm. I just, you know that there's so many stories like this where they just got away with it. Oh, yeah. And they don't have, not that they don't have the ego that your stereotypical male um, serial killer has. They probably do have an ego, but they are, I think the the number one thing is self-preservation. Mm-hmm. And they're Instead trying of to, like glory. Yes. And they're mm-hmm. trying to like fly under the radar which mm-hmm. is, it's it's almost scarier than your Ted Bundys and your, um, you know, people that, that the Son of Sam and the Yeah, because in Zodiac, those cases, their ego can trip them up. 
Exactly. And you just have these, these spiders in a web waiting to catch whatever they can to get ahead. And it's just, it's so scary. So happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. Gotta love love. (laughs) Everyone's just staring at their partner right now. Everyone is just like, hmm. But I honestly, I'm a true romantic, despite these terrible people that live among us. Mm -hmm. I believe in love and I am excited for Valentine's Day. I celebrate both. I celebrate Valentine's Day, but I used to when I was single celebrate. We have a mutual friend who celebrates what she calls sad as Singles Awareness Day. And, you know, I think Valentine's Day is, we should think like this all year, but Valentine's Day is a good day to remind yourself to love, to love people around you, to love yourself, to love Mm -hmm. your partner, to love your family and your friends, and just celebrate love because it's it's a beautiful thing people stop and smell those roses <laughs> yes even if you didn't get any just grab somebody else's roses and sniff them <laughs> yes and on that note thank you so much for listening and don't forget to love yourself on valentine's day and every other day and lock your doors on valentine's day and every other day yes and <laughs> Light some sage or some candles on Valentine's Day and every other day. I'm into it. (laughs) Me too. Or both. Get wild and crazy. And we will be back next week with a one and done episode. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you. And cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that.